welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for episode 102. I can't believe it either, so don't worry. This podcast is exceptional. I didn't expect it to probably come out as nearly as good as, as this did, and listening to it on the edit today, I was really, really impressed. So I know you're going to love it. It's Kayleen Tan. She is the executive pastry chef from Tonka and Coda, two of the best restaurants in Melbourne. She just brings such energy and positivity into this podcast. I know you're going to learn a lot about developing teams, the situation we have with international workers in Australia, and some of the limitations that restaurants are facing at the moment in Australia, but also some of the positive changes that can happen in the industry. So I know you're going to love it. Sit back and enjoy this podcast. All right, welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast. It's so fantastic to have you listening along. Kayleen Tan is the, is the executive pastry chef at Tonka and Coda, some of the best restaurants in Melbourne. In 2018, she won the Hospitality Scholarship and is also, um, also on a training, sister, uh, training series with the online training provider Tipsy, funnily enough, which uh, I'm on as well, um, <laughs> teaching about pastry fundamentals. Um, so I feel really, really blessed and honoured to welcome her on today's show. Kayleen, thanks so much for being a guest. Oh, thanks for having me. It's so, it's so fun to actually do a podcast. Never done one before. This is a really cool experience for me. <laughs> Which I just said to you really surprised me given the amount of, um, the amount of publicity. I knew, you were, I knew you were famous, but, um, but I didn't not- realise <laughs> quite how much when I did some stuff. Um, so let's, let's, talk about, um, let's talk about your connection into the pastry industry and, and why you started because... Um, I think you've got a pretty good story to tell, the research I've done. Um, so, you know, how did you get into it? Um, so, I guess the story would begin when I was still living in Singapore. So, I was born in Melbourne. My parents moved back to Singapore when I was about three or four years old. Okay. And um, after high school, I think I wanted to pursue a career in media because my parents were very, I mean, we grew up in a very traditional Asian family and they mm. found you know, education to be really important. So That's being a chef was never one of the things that um, was on the top of my list back then. So I actually enrolled myself, uh, had a diploma in mass communications. I graduated and also um, went into documentary production, did a little bit of feature writing as well for about five years. And then when I was 25, I went through what I call my um, self-diagnosed quarter-life crisis. When all my friends were graduating from university, a lot of them were pursuing careers that they really felt passionate about. And I think when I was 25, I thought to myself, is this really something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life during documentary production? Um, so I've always loved food. It was always, it's always been a very big part of my life growing up in Singapore. You're surrounded with so much good food, yeah. you know, and it's always been one of the things that has always tied my family together um, very closely. My grandmother and my mother have been, always been very, very good cooks. Mm-hmm. So when I was working for um, a magazine at the time called Cuisine and Wine Asia, I found a school called At Sunrise, which is in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And I went for an open house, enrolled myself in the course. It was 17 months and the rest is history, I guess you would say. <laughs> uh, graduated and so happened the year that I graduated, um, Joel Robuchon opened his flagship restaurant in Singapore and I told myself that that was the place I wanted to start my career. Because I find that basic fundamentals in pastry are really important. So I wanted to start with a very sturdy, classical French um, base so that at mm-hmm. least my foundation would be really, really concrete. I worked with him for about two years, which was an interesting experience. <laughs> Looking back on it now. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was very full on. Um, but it also taught me a lot of discipline, which um, have carried forward into um, my work today as well. You know, things that I look back on that I still um, play forward. Um, I also, after I finished there, I had an opportunity to work with um, Chef Andreas Lara, who is one of my pastry mentors in Poland, um, in a restaurant owned by Jason Atherton. Mm-hmm. And then about seven years ago, I wanted to travel, find a little bit of a different environment to kind of work in. And I decided, my mom was like, you know, you're born in Melbourne. 
you're Australian. Why don't you go to Australia and discover the opportunities there? Yeah, so I came to I came to, back to Melbourne about seven years ago. I uh, started working at the European with Chef Ian Curley for a little bit. And then wow. I found myself at Tonka and it's been six years. It's been an incredible journey. And yeah, wow, it's basically uh, everything con- everything on my last decade of my life condensed into two minutes. yeah you made it sound really simple um what what made you want to do um pastry and i love i love having pastry people bakers on the show because i'm an ex-baker so like what made you want to do pastry rather than be um a quote-unquote normal chef i know this is a question i've always been asked from Mm. like many many times and i think in the very beginning i never could quite find the right answer for it but i think because of my personality, I do enjoy the discipline of pastry. Yes. It's kind of like you need to follow these steps to get to the final product. Mm-hmm. There's no shortcuts. You can't fudge. It's very, it's all about precision. It's all about um, knowing exactly what you're doing and having a kind of regimental way of doing things according to a recipe. And mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy that regimen. I'm a bit OCD as well, which also mm-hmm. helps. Um, you know, you need a lot of attention to detail. And I think um, for me, I really enjoy that side of it. Yeah, I, I'm much the same. It's, it's, it brings a, I think it brings like a, a, familiar, a fam, uh, <laughs> familiarity, familiarity, thank you, um, <laughs> to the consistency of like a recipe producing it the same way. You know, obviously yeah. there are differences in things like flour and butter and all that kind of thing, but, but, consistency all the time and, and producing a great product. I think um, that's the cool thing. One of, one of my teachers when I first um, was in school actually explained it in a very poetic way, which is that pastry is like, pastry is like science, mm. whereas savory cooking is more like music. You know, you can kind of make it up along the way. You know, you can kind of like hide certain things. You can change things along the way if you feel that the flow doesn't, you know, it's not there, but with pastry, it's kind of like chemistry. You put two things together that are not meant to be together and the thing explodes. <laughs> That's yes. the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, literally, yes. <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk about Coda and Tonka and how, um, how the restaurants have changed and evolved during this time of COVID. We take this, you know, the end of September, um, we're still not open for indoor trading. We're still not open. We're still not open for outdoor trading. A lot of talk about outdoor trading in Victoria. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about how you initially felt when all this went down in March and and how the how the two restaurants have changed in that time. You know, if you could believe it, I can actually remember the actual date that it happened because I got a speeding ticket on the day. I think that was how <laughs> troubled I was by this entire thing. Yeah, right. So it was March 17th. We just got the news that we were going to lock down within maybe 24 hours. Mm. And we were still doing service during that week. And I still remember that we had so many cancellations. You know, the COVID numbers were going up. Everyone was kind of in a bit of a panic. No one knew mm. what was going on. Mm. Um, there were a lot of speculation about what was about to happen yes and i remember um my office manager and um my uh, chief financial officer coming to me um emma and morgan and they called me on the phone and they asked me hey so what do you think do you think we can do takeaway and all, honestly the takeaway aspect of Koda and tonka came together in six hours so literally wow. in the morning they were like numbers are going down what are we going to do and I was like, you know, let's just do takeaway. Like, how can we do this? Mm. And they said, in the next couple of hours, can you formulate something? Because maybe we can start distributing our products to a grocery store in Ivanhoe, which is Foodworks in Lawn. Uh, sorry, Foodworks mm. in Ivanhoe, which is the first mm-hmm. grocery store that we approached because um, Emma and I, we both live in Ivanhoe. So we were like, yeah, let's, let's try to aim yeah. for that. So within the next six hours where I was still at work, I thought to myself, how can, I, how can I formulate this so we separate ourselves from doing something like Uber Eats? Mm. And also at the same time, if we were to go into service, because at that time we didn't know what was happening, yeah. how could we formulate a way that takeaway and we could also operate as a restaurant if that was the way that it was going to happen? So I told them, we're going to do cold 
takeaway so that it, there won't be so much pressure on the kitchen to be producing hot food. Yes. And also there'll be less pressure on the delivery people as well to deliver it hot. And also I think a lot of people enjoy having that um, food that they can freeze, they can reheat it anytime they want. You know, there's no pressure to eat it on the spot. Mm-hmm. So within the six hours, I kind of like came up with this thing. I was like, let's bag curries this weight come up with stickers we came up with all the ingredients we did like a very very initial packaging way of it and i think i packaged like maybe 10 and at five o'clock emma was like i'm bringing this to food, um, the food works in ivanhoe we're gonna try to sell it at the grocery store so that wow. that was the day that it all kind of came together and i'm really appreciative of like adam and and michael and kate who are all the bosses for you know trusting the three of us to kind of formulate something to push the business forward and it I think it taught me a lot of like thinking on my feet Mm. ensuring that you know that my entire team still had a home essentially yeah of course because we're kind of like a family as well in in Mm. Tonka and I thought it was really important to create a, a, a way that we all could kind of stay together in that sense as well yeah you're a bit you're a bit ahead of the time there right because because i remember uh, i remember me standing myself down from uh from a job i had on the 24th of march so that was interesting and uh like shane delia with provador and that kind of stuff to give a to give a channel for high-end restaurants to do what what you guys have done wasn't been developed yet right so like you're definitely ahead of the curve of what anyone was thinking. They were just scared. Like what, what made you have the clarity to go, this is what we're going to do. Let's just see if it works. I think it was, to be perfectly honest, it was a lot of the three of us putting our heads together, like myself, Morgan and Emma, and actually thinking, conceptualizing an idea that would work um, in the long run. We wanted something that had longevity as well. And not that it would just last the period of a lockdown mm. like but the way that we've done it it's it's put in place so that if we open for service we can still offer those items for takeaway which i think is a great thing because now we've expanded our business model to include yes. takeaway you know as well and like i said it was just a lot of thinking on our feet and because the three of us were very like we wanted to get it done mm. and we were very determined to kind of make something happen within those short, the short period of time, even before we went into the first stage three lockdown. Um, I think that's the thing, like working together with people who have the same goals and the same um, idea as you. You know, when you bounce things off each other, you kind of come up with um, an idea that actually works for everyone. Yeah. And I, to be perfectly honest, it's been a very steep learning curve for all of us, like learning about things like nutritional charts, labeling like we didn't know any of this literally our first um prototype of our packaging literally just said talk about a chicken and it had all our ingredients but of course along the way we've learned that it needs to say certain things you know um it needs to have a nutritional chart it needs to say whether it has dairy or nuts and you mm. know it's brought us really in depth into our products like how long is the shelf life yes. and of course like because it's such a new model we're like i don't know how long the shelf life is how long is the shelf life mm. and you know things that we need to get tested and um temperatures that need to, need to be kept at. and you know i think the thing is that the three of us have been always so on the ball with it that we've just kind of rolled with the punches and i think that the reason why still at this point of time we are kind of still getting by i wouldn't say that we're successful but we're getting by and i think that in this day in this current climate it's the best we can ask for really yes yeah i totally agree when when you guys were working out the nutritional labels and and you know the time that the product was going to hold for and how it would look and how the packaging would feel and all that kind of stuff like were you working with a new team on that stuff or were you guys just doing a whole heap of research to find out what's legal, like what needs to be done? Like, I'm curious. Well, let's put it this way. There was a little bit of an incident where um, someone actually, we were actually, um, a, lot of, a lot of grocery stores, like gourmet grocery stores, like Gumtree, Boccaccio, um, McCopin's, 
food works. Mm. Um, we've had a lot of grocery partners who have been incredibly supportive during this time, and yeah. they have wanted to stock our products from day dot. Mm-hmm. And we stocked our products in one of the grocery stores, and we actually had um, someone complain to the grocery store that our labels weren't correct. What? Yeah, so that was the initial first lockdown. It was actually right. quite funny. Yeah. But I'm glad that they complained and yes. they put that complaint forward to the grocery store because if they didn't do that, we wouldn't have known as well. Yeah. yeah. So, it, like, for us, the grocery store just called us and said, hey, just to let you know, um, someone has mentioned that there's, your labels are not accurate. Like, they don't include the nutritional chart, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, okay. And this person actually also wrote to the council, like the Melbourne City Council. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to, say that, to say that our products weren't um, correctly labeled. And the funny thing about it was, I'm actually really thankful to this person now. I don't know who it was, but I'm really thankful to this person now because if they hadn't had done that, like if the, the council, Melbourne City Council hadn't come to us and gone, hey, you're selling your products retail, you need to have these things on the label. And they were super understanding. They were like, we know you're a one-head restaurant, never done takeaway before. Obviously, this is all new to you. Mm. So they were like, let me send you what you need to get on this label and we'll give you the weekend to do it. Wow. So they were also very understanding with us. They were like, we know that you've been rolling in the punches. Obviously, you don't know what the protocol is and all that kind of stuff. So they sent us a website. Um, thankfully, Morgan, our HR manager, is very on the ball with reading mm. all the legal stuff about it. Yes. So she read up about it. She was like, hey, so this is what needs to be done. Can you do it? So I was like, sure. So I just sat like maybe eight hours at home doing nutritional labels for all our products and our really amazing um, restaurant manager Natasha sat down and created new labels for our products and as we've gone along it's kind of evolved and it's been the work of every single person in my team that has created a very um, a really good concept to put forward for the future as well for the future of Tonka and for the future of Koda and like I said I cannot solely take responsibility for the way that things have turned out. I think we've learned from our mistakes along the way. And I think that's what is so great about my team is that we've really rolled with the punches. Like that we have, trust me when I say we've met a lot of setbacks. Um, there are certain things that have come our way that were like, oh, how do we do with that? Oh, how do we deal with that? And even when it came to discussing how we would do delivery as well, yeah. we didn't want to go with Uber, for example, because when we yes. did research in the first lockdown, they're taking... 35% from restaurants. Yes. And it's ludicrous. Yes. How much they are taking for, um, from restaurants earnings. And we were like, look, we have front of house, a lot of them who drive. And why can't we make use of that resource and also help a lot of our visa holders as well, hang on to their jobs. Yes. So it was also trying to make sure that, you know, that all our visa holders were taken care of, especially when they don't get the benefits that the Australians and permanent residents get and ensuring that we could all stay together throughout this period of time. What have you, what have you learned about your team during this time that maybe you didn't know before? Like, cause it sounds to me, Kayleen, like I've worked in the industry for over 20 years and the reason why I love it so much is when I think about it, you know, when I go through a hard time or a hard, hard shift or a hard week is, the fact the team is so strong and that's the reason why I joined hospitality so early. Like what have you learned more about your team during this time? Mm, I think in the face of adversity, we've all gotten stronger. Mm. And I think that so <clears throat> like before when we were working together, you know, typical restaurant service, we all got along, mm. but I think face of adversity, we realized how much camaraderie there actually is between the kitchen and also my front of house and how much we all depend on each other. And I think we've all learned to appreciate each other's input into the restaurant and into the business. And um, my kitchen team included, all of them have kind of stepped up and they were like, we know that, you know, they could have so easily said, I don't want to work. I don't want to do takeaway. I don't want to be a part of this and kind of just step back and shrugged it off. They could have so easily done that, but none of them did. All of them were very understanding, um, and I could not be more proud of them. And also, I really have to, like, thank, you know, Adam, Kate, and Michael for trusting me and trusting all of us to kind of 
um, so-called steer the ship into the direction that it's at. Because I think that it's so important to have that relationship with your bosses that they're like, we trust you. We know what you're doing. We're going to keep an eye on it, but we trust what you're doing is for the benefit of everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us have come together to create a system that works um, for the entire restaurant. So one of the best things that has come out of it is that I've actually managed to keep my entire kitchen team from my kitchen porters to every single person in the kitchen. Like the hours that we do now, of course, are a lot less than what we would do if we were running a normal business. But the fact that everyone has, a, has two or three shifts a week, everyone still sees each other. You know, we now have to work under COVID safety compliance um, measures and all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> everyone's super respectful of that. You know, they're all following the rules. They're all doing what we need to do. And, and I think that is one of, I would say that that's a success for me, knowing that I still have each one of my kitchen porters there. You know, my students all have a shift. You know, I've got everyone working. And I, I could not ask for anything more than that. And even if like we come out of this and we're not profiting and we're just getting by, I think that is really all that matters is the fact that we, we kept a hundred percent of our team and not a lot of places Amazing. can say that they managed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. If I can, if I can ask you, like you've obviously got um, uh, a part of your team, which are internationals who aren't, uh, who aren't liable for government assistance in Australia, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, how have you been able to, as a leader of now two restaurants, um, shoulder those people and their challenges and their anxiety and their concern in a situation which no one has seen before and make sure that you're able to turn up to work every day and still lead? Like, how have you managed that? Because that's... That's an extraordinary skill, Kelly. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the one, the one thing I've learned over the 10 years that I've been working is that a leader doesn't have to be someone that people fear. You don't have to lead people or scare people into listening to you. So I've always kind of been the sort of manager that I want to be like someone that they can approach. Yep. and talk about anything. And that's the thing that I, I always reiterate to all of them is if they ever have an issue, a problem, anything at all, I'm always here. Like whether or not you want to come sit with me face to face or call me on my cell phone or drop me a text message, drop me an email, like I'm always there. And it's developing those personal relationships with each one of them over the time that I've been at Tonka, which is six years. And I've seen many people come and go and of course, there have been a couple of nuts in the bunch, but you're yes. always going to get a few of them. But for the most part, I've always gotten along with all of my team. And to me, because of the fact that we go through so much on a daily basis together, you form a kind of relationship with them that is pretty much indescribable to anyone else. And I have a personal relationship with each one of them. And, and they know that on good days, we can banter, we can laugh. And it's about making that environment fun. Because I always tell them, especially over the last six months, not counting June where we opened for a month because I don't even think that existed. No, <laughs> I can't even remember that time anymore. Yes. Not existed. Mm. I would say like going through this for the last six months, I told them, I know it's mundane. I know it's mundane. I, vac- I, I do the same work that they do. Mm. And I think it's not having that separation of rank where it's like, oh, I'm your boss, so I'm not going to do that because... I'm too good for that particular job. It's them being able to see me also getting my hands dirty, you know, standing there for two hours, vacuuming those packets of butter chicken, weighing the chicken out, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, being in the trenches with them. I think it also shows a lot of like tenacity to show your team that I know it's boring as well, guys, but I'm here doing it with you. Mm -hmm. And I think just making it fun. Sometimes getting things, like like I told you in the start, I started my career in Jean Robuchon. And in the French kitchen, it's always about regimen and discipline. And although some of those things I've still carried forward, like I still tell them like, hey, can you please stick the butter chicken sticker straight, please? (laughs) Little things like that, I carry forward. But I've never believed in like bullying or like forcing them to do something they don't want to do. And if it's something that they are not comfortable doing, they know that they can always pull me aside and go like, and explain to me their take on the situation or why they're not doing things a certain way. 
I don't believe in, in bullying only because, you know, I went through a lot of my childhood being bullied. I know what it feels like to have lunch by yourself, to be the outcast, you know, to be the one that everyone's just laughing at. So I never want anyone in my team to ever feel that they can't come to me for help if they can't get along with their colleague or have any kind of problem, whether or not it's personal or work related. Like I want to be able to be the kind of leader that they can approach on at any day in time. What do you think, um, what do you think you got that strength from to move past those hard times in your life? Even, you know, even in maybe some of the kitchens you've worked in, you know, um, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be a female in a kitchen, which is male dominated. Like I just don't, <laughs> I don't know what that, I don't know what that's like. Right. So, yeah, um, um, or even to be in those situations and then rise above that and become a great leader with inside a team. Like, where did that strength come from? I have to give a lot of credit to my family. Like my mom, my brother and my dad have always been there for me from day dot. Yeah. Like even when I was young and I was growing up and I used to come home, no friends, not getting invited to birthday parties, sitting at home crying by myself, mm. you know, and all that kind of stuff. It used, it took me many, many years to get over that part of my life. And I think it was also a lot of encouragement from like my mom, especially, you know, she's always been the kind of person that talks about feelings and is always very open to me talking to her. She's kind of like my best friend yeah. and my brother as well. You know, they have that fierce, unconditional loyalty and love towards me. And I think that has helped push me forward. And I'm also very lucky to have met a lot of incredible people along my journey from the time that I was in documentary production till the time that I became a chef. There have always been these very key people in my life that um, I still hold in a very high regard who have taught me the fundamentals to be a leader. Mm. Like with a chef I worked with in Singapore, Andreas, um, he's still a really good friend today. And, you know, he was always the kind, he was always the kind of boss that you could have a joke around with. Like when yeah. work came to work, he was always very serious. Yes. But at the end of the day, he's still, he's just a friend. Yes. You know, he's a friend to me. And it made my working with him so much more enjoyable because of the fact that he was the way he was. And it's the kind of personality that I've always wanted to emulate as a leader as well. It's because I seen the way that he led his kitchen and I've always looked up to that. And he's always, he's never yelled at me actually in, in the many, many years I've worked with him. He's never once yelled at me. And I always tell this story to like, <laughs> to my team. I said, nothing, it doesn't suck to be yelled at. It sucks when someone tells you that you've disappointed them. Yeah. And that hurts so much more than someone yelling and throwing plates at you, which have happened to me, by the way. Yes. And I can tell you, it's Likewise. more, it hits you so much harder when someone you respect and love so much tells you that they're disappointed in you. And that is the reason why I've become the person that I am today. And also learning a lot from Adam DeSilva as well. He's also the kind of person that, you know, you can call up on any day and have a, just have a chat with, talk to him about your problems. And I've always jokingly said that he's like my Australian father. <laughs> Although obviously he's not old enough to be my father. But <laughs> you know, he's like the kind of person that, you know, he gets serious when things are serious, but he's also approachable and, um, you know, he's, such a good person deep down. And I always say, I always say this to everyone that I owe a lot of the successes of my career to him. And he got me, he's gotten me out of a lot of very sticky situations. And even when he first hired me as well, I would, you know, when I was leaving the European, I was probably at one of the lowest points of my life. And then Adam came along and it was just very serendipitous the way that our working relationship has evolved over the last six years that I've been at Tonka but every opportunity that he and Michael and Kate have given me has helped me grow as a leader. And I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And like I said, it's all about trust and you know, it takes many years to build that kind of relationship. And I'm very, very blessed to have that in my life with them now. Um, that's so good to hear. Um, <laughs> coming. No, just the way you talk about things, Kayleen, like it just makes me feel, happy to still be in the industry. You know what I mean? 
like my my next question was going to be like you obviously didn't start in hospitality you started you know and obviously you know production uh, video production and 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 that kind of thing like do you think what you've just talked about and that community and that feeling and that support is something that is just from the hospitality industry did you see it from your previous industry before do you ever reflect well the funny thing is that i think it's there i think every industry has it Mm. but the funny thing about the kind of relationships that you form is that the more adversity you go through together the stronger your bond becomes kind of like soldiers in a war which is what i always um make equivalent to working in a kitchen. It's kind of like going to war. You know, you mm-hmm. have um, everyone that's fighting for the same cause. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a busy service, I would say, is pretty much like war. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're fighting the grill, you're getting burnt, you're working with sharp knives. You're yelling um, at people. Yelling at people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even the yelling, like I'm not saying that I'm completely innocent of yelling. I do yell. Mm. But they know that at the end of the day, like, I yell at them in that moment and then I pull them aside after service and go, are we okay? Yes. You know, that's not personal. That's just work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a great thing about my team. It's, they know I don't yell at all, rarely. But when I do, it's because something very grave has happened. Yeah, it's a purpose. And it's not a personal attack at them. Mm. Like, I treat all of them pretty much the same. Mm. And... I think it's adversity. And, you know, in the media industry, when I was working, there was a lot more politics than adversity, I would say, in, yeah. the, in what I experienced myself. Mm. Like, you don't really go through periods where you're kind of, like, fighting for something. Mm. Whereas in a kitchen, it's, it's a very unique environment, environment to be in. Yeah. You, know, you're, you know, like, I don't think any other industry has that kind of dynamic in that sense. Yeah. It's like you're fighting for a common cause every day, isn't it, really? Yeah, pretty much. Unless, well, I think the one thing I could probably, like, say is similar would be all the people, all the medical Mm. practitioners that are working on the front line right now or the firemen that work, you know, the firemen that work to save the bushlands and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. My my brother was a fireman back in Singapore. So, you know, I, I, you know, he always explained to me the fear of running into a fire. Yes. And I think that builds a lot of, camaraderie in a team in mm. a sense, which is yeah which is only certain professions that have that kind of bond i would say yeah i totally agree yeah. um let's talk about some positive things um <laughs> there um although we have talked about a lot of positive things already which is awesome um there are, there are a lot of people in our industry um who are quite prolific who are being very loud and <laughs> i understand as to why but it's it's not always with a glass half empty, sorry, a glass half full approach. What do you think is going to happen to the industry that's going to be positive to make it change? I would say that the, the businesses that have managed to roll with the punches, mm. especially with, this, with everything that's been happening in Australia, will come out of this with a different game plan they will realize that there are things or avenues of their business that they have maybe haven't explored before that they can explore in the future. And it becomes an additional business model on top of their existing um, business that they can push forward, you know, and it's a different avenue. Like, for example, for us, we've never done takeaway ever. It's never been one of those things that we've ever considered doing. But because of COVID and because of lockdown, we've established a somewhat of a system for ourselves mm-hmm. and we've been able to make that like, even when we went through that very short period where we opened in June, mm-hmm. our takeaway was still there. So mm-hmm. it was an additional option for customers when they came in, they're like, Oh, we just had dinner, but we really, we live in Geelong, for example, we drove yes. all the way to Melbourne to have curry, but we really want to have your curry maybe another time this week. You know, there's that option to have like, hey, we actually sell butter chicken and lamb curry takeaway now. Like, do you want to mm-hmm. get some home? Mm-hmm. And that expands the business as well. Yes. Which I think is really, really great. And now, especially that we're also, um, we have a lot of our products stocked in a lot of gourmet supermarkets as well. That's also a different avenue that we've explored that will continue even after we do open. And I think a lot of businesses that have done that 
you know, will actually find a different source of revenue and also maybe a different opportunity to create jobs for people as well. Yeah, 100%. Do you think, how much of a challenge do you think it's going to be for restaurateurs and, and leaders with inside hospitality businesses to all of a sudden have maybe a retail offer in their venue being stocked, being replenished, being sold, being pushed by staff, a delivery, a delivery channel, maybe a uh, on-time delivery channel being part of their brand where they've never had that before, and then a, a retail product which is sold in supermarkets or, or sold through something like Providor, which goes to Geelong or Mornington or wherever. Like, yeah. that's a really big skill set to all of a sudden jump on a person who's maybe never done that before and, and is maybe fantastic at pushing out amazing quality dishes or running a team of 50 or 100 people doing that. Like, how are people going to learn these skills, do you think? Do you think this time for Melbourne to have, you know, thinking about these different processes has been beneficial? I definitely think it's been beneficial to, well, to myself personally and to my team, it's been mm. very beneficial. Mm. Like we've learned something completely different, but here's the thing, right? It's what I, this is my own personal feeling. Change is never easy. Mm. A lot of people are never going to go into something and want to change their business model and be completely happy about it. Yeah. And so many businesses have been so, I guess, okay. One of the examples that I could bring up, would be my partner used to work at um, Border Ramble, which is mm-hmm. a restaurant down in Richmond. Yes. And when the first lockdown started, you know, they were doing Uber Eats mm-hmm. a, a little bit unsuccessfully. And I approached the owner and I said, hey, you know, Tonka and Koda have been doing this thing. It seems like a good idea. Maybe you want to try to like get yourself into supermarkets, you know, try doing delivery yourself mm-hmm. instead of relying on Uber because a yep. lot of the percentage of their earnings was going to them. And you know, he was a little bit resistant to wanting to change their business model. They were like, no, this is the way we're doing things. I want to cook hot food. I want to do Uber Eats. And I mean, sad to say, after about a month, my partner got stood down. So he lost his job for two months. Um, And I think that is one of an example of what could happen if you are so resistant to change. And no one likes it. Even I didn't like it. I was initially, I was like, I cannot believe we're doing this. This is not what I signed up for. Mm. But if you don't, if you're not tenacious enough to want to try, then you're always going to be stuck in that bubble and everyone's going to be moving along and you're not going to be able to catch up. Mm. And especially at this point now where we're coming towards the end of it, I've seen a lot of businesses who have taken on the challenge of like, yes, we're going to offer takeaway. Yes, we're going to change our business model. Yes, we're going to try something different. But there have been a lot of businesses that have been like, nah, that's just not what we do. Mm. I don't want to do it. It's not for me. Mm. And I don't know whether or not they'll be able to survive moving into like how things are going to be after October 19th. Yes. Because even with outdoor dining, especially for Tonka, it's not going to work. A lot of the restaurants in Melbourne CBD are pretty screwed if you think yeah. about it. Yeah. And I don't know how it's going to move forward. There's been a lot of talk about like opening, like closing Flinders Lane and mm. also, yeah, Flinders Lane and like, you know, closing all these areas and, you know, creating outdoor dining, but who's to know? We might be doing takeaway till next year. Yeah. But if you don't have those processes in place and you're so resistant to wanting to even try to do it, yeah. then you're not giving yourself the opportunity to see whether or not it will work. Yeah, you've lost and before I it started, like, right? <laughs> yeah, you should have started. I mean, I'm sorry, but you should have started like three months ago. Yeah, no joke. Even, yeah. If, even if it wasn't during the first lockdown, I think. Mm. Yeah. How do you, how do you think, um, like, what are you guys planning for the two restaurants sort of moving into this period where we're having, we're having some information from the government, but it's pretty bad. And we're having a lot of people wanting to do really great, really great things, especially in the city council at the moment, you know, and outdoor dining being one of those things that, they're trying to work with. Um, but the thing you just raised is that Flinders Lane, especially like there's a lot of basement kitchens. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kitchens on, on the second level of a premise, like something like Hazel um, down the end yeah. of Flinders Lane. Like how are you guys going to make it function if you do outdoor dining? Good question. We told Leho that they can take the slope, the 30 degree angle slope coming out of Tonka. We'll take the flat area outside of Tonka. 
So yes. they can have the slope. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in in oh, sorry, Victor. <laughs> in all seriousness, um, I think okay. I was listening to Michelle Obama's podcast a couple days ago. Yeah. Awesome. And I think she said it very eloquently when she said that the future is written in pencil. It truly is. I don't know what's going to happen. Making plans, I've come to the conclusion that making plans right now, it's kind of like, even if you plan it, will it actually happen? Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where we have come to the conclusion ourselves that we have something really great in place right now. Mm-hmm. And until something comes up that works, for the business, mm. then we will, when we get to that point, we will make those decisions. And because like how we've always worked together as a team in a restaurant, we've kind of always rolled with the punches from mm-hmm. the first lockdown. Mm-hmm. So I have no doubt that when things are announced on October 19th, we'll still be able to roll with those punches. Yeah. And it's a lot of compromise between all of us. You know, sometimes compromising what we strongly believe in or some, what someone might violently object to. But at the end of the day, we all know that we're working for the betterment of the team. Yes. And I think that's what's most important. And if it comes to the point that they might, we, we can't do outdoor dining, then we will continue to do what we've been doing now, maybe on a smaller scale, mm-hmm. but at least we are, our restaurant will still be open. And I think that's the thing, that's the positive thing that's come out of this is that knowing regardless of what decisions are made for the hospitality industry moving forward, that we have a very strong game already being played right now by us. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to go away, even if we do open for outdoor dining. Yeah. Have you, have you guys thought about, obviously you're at a different, different level, so I don't want to be disrespectful, but like <laughs> brands like Mr. Miyagi and brands like George on Collins, I saw yesterday, like going to other suburbs and doing, you know, doing a night where they'll do a kitchen, you know, there for that local area. Like is, is that something you guys want to do as well? Or are you just thinking about what can we do in our restaurant right now? Do some more, you know, hopefully they'll let some people eat eat inside. Maybe that model can work for 10 or 20 guests or whatnot. Hopefully we get some outdoor dining where we can make that work. Like what are you, what are you guys sort of thinking at the moment? I think the mindset right now for all of us is that anything's a possibility. Sure. You know, Everything's up for discussion. We won't, we won't completely close down any kind of options that come our way. If someone says, like, for example, my partner right now, he's the head chef of Trowel Estate up in Seymour. And if yes. they were to come to us and go like, hey, do you guys want to come and do a pop-up? Because they've already opened. They opened last week and they did like 60 covers, I think, for um, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday and Sunday, which is really, really great. And um, yes. if they want to say, hey, Adam, do you want to come up and do like a Tonka Koda night at Seymour? and mm. like cook curry for like the community there. I'm sure he'll be like, yeah, let's do it. When? And we'll work mm-hmm. out the logistics from there. So I don't think anything is off the table right now, as long as, you know, it's something that's always up for discussion with us, I think. Yeah. Can I ask how, how hard it's been for him traveling to Seymour? Like that's, that's around <laughs> 45 hours one way and back. Like, how's that? How's that? I, um, <laughs> So it's about an hour, 15 minutes from my house where I live in Ivanhoe. Oh, okay. um, it's yeah. an hour, 15 minutes. It's not so bad because he's a very outdoorsy person. So I actually think that um, my partner's job, his name is Eric, by the way. Oh, hello, Eric. <laughs> um, hello, Eric. Um, I think the job for him actually, um, it fits him perfectly because he's a hunter, outdoorsman, fisherman. Yeah. And given that he's had all his liberties taken away during the lockdown Mm. and he can't drive anywhere to do any of the things that he really loves to do, being able to go to work in the country for him and drive that one and a half hours and go to the Goulburn Valley and drive around the mountains and work in a kitchen that's surrounded by all this nature. I think it's been healthy for him actually being able to drive. Mm. and, And I think he's also very thankful to be able to have found a job especially in this current climate where um, jobs are really so hard yeah. to find right now. And Travel Estate has a, actually, yeah. oh, they were also carrying a couple of our products as well. So, you know, we were, oh, wow. they were buying curry from us to sell up in Seymour so that we could cater to that crowd up on the, on the yeah, on, in the Mitchell Shire. Um, Kayleen, the last question to you, as I've been asking every guest at the moment is, what are you looking forward to that you can't do now 
that you could do before the lockdown happened that you really want to go back to? Yeah. Do I only have to choose one thing? You can choose many things. <laughs> uh, the list is long, I would yeah. say. Go for it. Uh, the one thing that I wa- would like to do right now is go back to Singapore and see my family. Yeah. I miss my mom and my dad very, very, very much. Um, my brother is up in Wodonga. He moved there <laughs> just in June. Yes. Um, so that's another person I really, really, really need to go and see at some point because I don't think I've not, I don't think I've not seen my brother for such a long period of time. Especially we were both living in Melbourne. He was in Reservoir. I was in Ivanhoe. We used to see each other every week. And suddenly now I haven't seen him in like nearly six months. Wow. So it's very intense. Um, I would love to see all my friends mm-hmm. who I have not seen in <laughs> three months. <laughs> we live all over the place. So even the whole 5km, two houses. Oh. The bubble work. doesn't happen work, right? No, yeah. one of my friends is in Brighton and my other friend <laughs> is in Wantana South. So we all live like in this triangle. Yes. And we can't see each other. <laughs> I would love to bring my dogs to the beach. And I think the one thing that I've had to sacrifice this year was my wedding. I was meant to get married next month. Oh, <laughs> wow. I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay. Um, we, yeah. And you know, with the travel thing, our parents not being able to come over from Singapore, my best friend is in Singapore as well. Mm-hmm. We've just put it off. It was, we was, it was meant to be October 20th. It's not mm-hmm. going to be now. In Melbourne put it, or in Singapore? Yeah, it's going to be in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh-huh. We were going to get married. In, it was all planned out. It was actually the deposit was meant to be put down the week we went into the first lockdown, the 17th oh. of March. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then lockdown happened and I was like, what do we do now? <laughs> so we, it's just been a waiting game. And I think the joke about it that I was telling my friends was that people got married during the Holocaust, right? So what's going on? <laughs> so true. Now? Yes. Oh, true. Yes. It's not going to happen, but it's okay. Like, um, we're going to wait till everything settles down. We can have all our friends and families here. Mm-hmm. I really want to get out of the city Yes. Because like I said, my partner's a very big outdoorsman and we go foraging for mushrooms in, you oh, know, wow. in, in the country. We go to the beach. We go to 90 miles to fish for like gummy sharks and oh, cool. we go foraging for pipsies in, in summer. We go catch snapper in spring. It's all these things that we do. Like we have a thing for every season and I haven't been able to do any of it. My life has literally been home, drive 20 minutes to work, Work, drive 20 minutes home. Walk the dogs for one hour, come back home. That's it. Yeah. That's my life for like the last, I don't know how long. Yeah. And yeah, I think that those are like a couple of the top things I would really like to do. And I would really like to go and eat a steak. <laughs> I want to go to rock pool and sit. And, and, and choose a steak from the platter they bring out and then pick oh, that one. Exactly. Yes. With all the sides, the yes. mac cheese and everything, sit opposite my partner or whoever it is. I really don't care who I eat with. It's just about the eating. <laughs> it's the eating. Could be anyone. Could oh, be poor Eric. I really don't care. Sorry, Eric, but it could be anyone. I just want to have a meal with someone or, or some people. You know, I miss that that community <laughs> that you have when you're all sharing a meal and not sitting in front of the television, yeah, which is something that has become an incredibly bad habit of ours. Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. It's eating in front of the TV, eating our plastic boxes. Yeah. And I just really miss using cutlery, you know? hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Oh, there's only, there's only so many series you can, you can watch on Netflix, isn't it? So, um, yeah. Yeah. I think I've watched it all. Hey, oh my God, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I've gotten as far as to like, now I have Netflix, Stan, Amazon Prime and Binge. Oh God, okay. I've only gone oh. to Amazon Prime. I haven't gone to Binge yet. I know I've, um, okay. I know Binge I need to check myself. Binge, God, don't get on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my girlfriend at bay to make sure she doesn't, um, she doesn't get on that, Kaylene, it'll be important. Um, Thank what you so- are you looking forward to doing? Oh, that's a good- no one's asked me that. Um, I'm looking forward to going to the gym. I walk um, about sort of seven, eight, nine Ks a day in the morning to clear my head and start my day off positively. Um, I'm missing that. And my friends are just outside the five kilometer 
radius, oh, like, like you just said, like yeah. literally like, you know, 500 to a, a K away. So, um, yeah, that and, and my, my parents and my sister are in Adelaide and then my brother's in Sydney. And um, so I can't see them. And um, so I feel just, it, it's kind of weird feeling being a Victorian right now. You feel like kind of no one wants you. And um, and no one understands. No one understands, right? Like it's it's um, hard to tell my mates interstate. So, um, and I really want to sit down in a cafe and have a coffee, or or go to a like go to a restaurant again. I was lucky enough to go to um, to Hazel and Desos in the in the break in between in June, and um, thank God for that. But like um, now, I can't wait to come to Coda and. And Tonka now that um, hopefully we'll be open again soon. Oh my um, God! Yes, hoping. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kayleen, finally, what's the way that people can find out about you? You have um, a fantastic Instagram, and uh, oh, thank you. You're doing such a good job. What's the best way that people can find out more about you? Um, you can find me on my Instagram. It's uh, Kayleen Tan with a underscore at the end, or you can come to Tonka and order some takeaway. I am there five days a week. You can Beautiful. come say hi while you pick up your food. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, that's basically it. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with social media. So if you hit me up with a message, yeah, you're very anything, good. Anything at all? You want to order some food? Let me know. You want to know more about Dashens? Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see my dogs as well? <laughs> I'm gonna see your dogs after this. This is awesome. It's all on social media. <laughs> uh, Kayleen, thank you so much for being a breath of fresh air and a positive voice in our industry, especially in Melbourne at the moment. It is very much needed. And um, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Sean. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. As always, it's so fantastic to have you listening. So thank you so much. Make sure that you subscribe, make sure that you write me a comment and let me know what you think and make sure you share it as well. Like if you think this is a fantastic podcast that people need to know about, I'd really love you to share it. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.